Hello and welcome to a special double header of Talking About My Generation, a pop culture podcast dedicated to children of the 80s, 90s, and even in the 21st century. If you're new to the show, welcome. On this podcast, we'll discuss movies, video games, and television shows that we grew up on. Now, why is this episode a double header? Because we're actually honoring the start of the playoffs, which kicks off today. Uh, I believe it's the Dodgers and the Royals that are going off to play uh, on the start of this. Uh, so for that, we are actually covering two baseball movies this week. We're going to be covering A League of Their Own and A Field of Dreams. And I, of course, have my co-host Mike back with me here. Hello. Hello, sir. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and we're going to start off with A League of Their Own. Uh, what were your thoughts on this movie, Mike? I I love this movie. Um, it's it shines a light on something that not a lot of people might know. Okay, people who live through it obviously know about it, but a lot of people might not have known about it. Um, a League of Their Own came out ninety. Well, yeah, no, ninety two. Yeah. Wow. Jesus. Okay. Uh, it's twenty two years old. Wow. Um, <laughs> And it shines a light on, on, on the time in, in, in American history where the boys went off to war and we had no baseball. Or if we did have baseball, there wasn't very much of it. And it basically depicts the story of the All-American Girls Baseball League. Yep. Um, now, granted, I, I will add a caveat that this is a fictionalized account. Well, yes, you know, it, it, it is a fictionalized account, but I mean, this is, I, I'm saying like a subject matter that to this point in 1992, I don't think, I don't remember because I haven't seen every single film from the time I was born to 1992, but you know, I don't think a lot of movies at the time, 80s, 90s were doing things like this. Oh, no, no. I mean, there there were some, obviously, but they were more documentaries, and people were mm -hmm. like, eh, it's a documentary. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and don't get me wrong, when I say that this is a fictionalized account, it, there really was a All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was real life. They actually did exist. There is uh, an exhibit out in Cooperstown for it specifically, so you can go out there and go see it. It, it does exist. Don't Don't take what I'm saying about fictionalization being you know, exactly what it is. Uh, my thoughts on the movie here, I, I'm going to say this, and I'm sure that my wife is going to come in here and, and start harassing me or hitting me in the back <laughs> of the head any minute now for saying this. Uh, I, this movie is good. However, <laughs> I, I'm adding this caveat. However, when it is played over and over and over, Fucking over and over and over again. And you can't escape the damn thing 
because even when it goes off of Netflix, because it went off of Netflix on October 1st, they fucking play it again on this TV. Yeah. Okay, you know, I mean... But that's with any movie, though. You see it too many times. Honestly, for me, any movie I see, like, on FX or USA or whatever, like, 40 or 50 times in one month, you're going to feel that way about any movie. It's not just this movie. Oh, yeah. No, no. And it's just... (laughs) It's been one of these things that I've probably seen it 20 times in the past 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's... It just comes on, and you always catch it, and you always see scenes, and this... for this, I will say that this movie has got a lot of memorable scenes in it. Uh, it does. You know, of course, we had the opening here when we came in. <laughs> Jimmy taking that really long piss. <laughs> yep, yep. So, uh, you know, you can't help but love it. Uh, but, yeah, th- this is actually, I will say, two years ago in, in 2012 that A League of Their Own was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. So it does have its place. Oh, um, absolutely. I mean, anyone who doesn't like this film, whether you're a baseball fan or not, anyone who doesn't like the story in this film in general, you're just an evil person. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, you know, you can take baseball or leave it, but it's like if you don't see the significance that this – film it shined a light on a part of american history and whether people like it or not whether people find it bloody boring baseball is america's sport and it is has always been around with us for the longest time well i'm gonna say this just as a quote from george carlin okay god here we go i i I know and again this is george (laughs) I'm going to emphasize, this is George Carlin speaking, not me, but I, I love this because it was, it was so damn funny. Baseball is not a sport. Baseball is a bunch of guys standing around and hitting a ball with a bat. And the game can get called on account of rain. Wah. Football is a sport. Okay? Football is, it, it, you know, if it, goes, if it goes into overtime, it's sudden death overtime. Baseball has extra innings. <laughs> so, you know, go go ahead, Mike. <laughs> so, uh, uh, George Carlin, may he rest I, in peace, but God damn him. I know, um, I know. <laughs> it's one of those things where if baseball – okay, so basically what he's saying is all that baseball requires is goofy pants and a fat ass. Yeah, okay. Well, that's about saying. No. <laughs> Baseball is not golf, people. Come on now. True. true. Golf is <laughs> Golf is not a sport. No. <laughs> um uh you know, and if you want to go the <clears throat> the British side of it technically, American football is rugby and the real football is probably the least amount of sport. It's like who cares about soccer? <laughs> so three quarters, plenty- of the, three quarters of the uh, the Latin American world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. three quarters um, of Europe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I have you know fallen asleep through many a Red Sox games in my thirty five years on this planet, but baseball isn't as dull as people think it is. It really, really isn't. When you have, especially for me, it. it if you're coming from a state and a town and just 
that this whole field, Boston, Massachusetts, anywhere in Massachusetts, you will love the Red Sox and hate the Yankees because that's what you're born to do. And I guess, you know, you can say, well, if I'm from New York, blah, 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 you can do it vice versa. But it's one of those things where I grew up on baseball. Baseball, next to cartoons, baseball is what I watched after school and stuff. You know, it's like, and on the weekends and everything else and going to games and stuff like that, it's just a really cool sport. And you find out whether you like it or not, and you get yourself attached to teams and players and everything else, I still have a newspaper clipping of Roger the Rocket Clemens back in his heyday at the Red Sox. Now, I know that in baseball over the last 10, 15 years, you know, everything has been called into play about, oh, steroids, and more controversy and more social media, as you know, gossipy aspect of it but the sport in general regardless of what the players do um outside of you know being on the field you know, that's one of the things with me i you know okay unless you know somebody goes out and kills somebody you know or does something really really you know super criminal um i apply this to anything i don't care who Tom Cruise is married to today, tomorrow, whenever. I don't care how many kids he has. I don't care how, you know, I don't care if Chad Kroger from Nickelback got pulled over for drunk driving, not saying that he did. I, you know, it's like right. all, all, the, all the stuff that, you know, people and news outlets and everything else make it like a big deal today. I don't give a shit as long as they put out a damn good product that I like it. And it's the same thing with baseball. As long as my team, even though this year they went from, First to worst, Ugh, Red Sox, you bastards! Um, at least it's not '86 all over again. Okay, you know, it's- I, I'm going to stop you right there. <laughs> Since you're bitching about baseball, I am in the worst town for baseball. <laughs> Come on, Padres, San Diego Padres. They've gone to the World Series twice, and they've gotten swept both fucking times. Okay, in '84. They went, and in 97, I believe it was, mm-hmm. okay, they went, and both times they got swept. Not just like they won a game and then lost the rest. No, they got fucking swept. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like what the Red Sox did the, to the Cardinals in 2004. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it, well, you know, send, you know, if you guys could have just, you know, put Tony Gwynn on ice and, you know, harvested his baseball knowledge for the rest of time. Maybe you guys would have actually (laughs) won one by now. And that's probably about the best thing that's come out of San Diego (laughs) is Tony Gwynn. He was, you know, I'm going to say this real quick because the man has passed and and it was a real, real travesty that he's gone now, but he came on to coach the Aztecs, the San Diego Aztecs did a wonderful job there. He was Mr. Padre. He was Mr. Baseball. I mean, Mm. you know, it was he wasn't Babe Ruth in a sense. Mm-hmm. I, I would never say that he was that good. No, but at the same time, with everything going around him, you know, all the steroids and everything else, and you know, mm-hmm. chewing tobacco problems and all this, he was pretty clean. You know, yeah, he did chew tobacco. Yes, he did die of cancer. Because of that, and he attributed it to he attributed his cancer to that before he passed. Mm-hmm. It's a shame, and you know he he realized it and he tried to tell everybody, "Don't do what I did. Don't be like me for that respect." But 
be a nice person. And that's all that he ever was. Mm-hmm. So having said that. <laughs> so, you know, I, I guess my whole point in this is whether you like baseball or not, this movie has something for everybody. It has something for the people that were, you know, World War II vets or, you know, people who survived through that or, you know, people who are down and out on their luck and need another chance. And, you know, you know, people like Jimmy Dugan who – Jimmy Dugan to me is to what the 90s was, to what the 80s was with Sam Malone. He's that washed up ball yep. player, you know. Yep. <laughs> you know, um, And this movie is just so damn good. Yes, I understand you get – but it it doesn't matter how many times I see it. I still cry at the end. I I am not afraid to admit that. I – every single time, um, even when that idiot shows back up, it's like, Donnie, don't you remember me? You're going to lose. And just when when, – because that was Gina Davis. They aged her up. When she puts her – Hand over her face. I still cry at that that entire end scene. Oh yeah, you know it's like oh my god. And for me, you know, I mean, I don't cry per se, but I definitely tear up every mm-hmm. single time when they cut back and they show the picture of John Lovett standing there and how he kind of brought them all together. <laughs> and it was just like, you know, he's passed on, and you kind of just it tugs right at your heart, man. I, I, I you know, yeah. <laughs> It really does. And, I mean, this is a Gary Marshall movie. Um, And it's because the Fonz himself. Oh, no, that's Henry Winkler. Um, But, I mean, Gary Marshall, he, well, actually it's directed by Penny, his sister, but he's, Gary's in it. This is one of those things where the two of these people have such interesting careers, both as actors and directors. Oh, yeah. They, they just, I mean, you know, you look at each of their, I mean, Penny Marshall, obviously, you know, Laverne and Shirley, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and Gary, you know, he's had a whole bunch of hits and you can see the emotion in it. And I have always liked Gary Marshall as, as an actor. Because he has that he, – he's one of those people that has that really raspy but cool voice. Oh, yeah. Um, and in this movie, it just it just brings it out so much. Uh, well, let, let's talk a little bit about the cast here because we had – this is such a – it's an ensemble cast at this point, I would really say. I mean at the time, they really weren't hugely known. Mm-hmm. But I mean you look at some of these people. You've got – Tom Hanks, you know, you've got Gina Davis, uh, Lori Petty, who a lot of people are probably like, Lori Petty, who's that? Um, <laughs> she was she was uh, in Free Willy. She was Tank Girl in Tank Girl. Uh, she was Christine Jones in Polly Shore's In the Army Now, for all those people who have seen that movie. She was in Robin Williams' Cadillac Man is Lila. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, I mean, and I could go back and mention Gina Davis as being Thelma and Louise, Commander. Oh Chief, yeah, you know. I mean Gina Louise Davis, Davis. Yeah. yeah. You know, same with Tom Hanks. I mean, Bosom Buddies, Castaway, Big, mm. Sleepless. Take your pick. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, but some of the others, like Anne Ramsey. Uh, Anne Ramsey, she's been Brenda Marshall on Hawthorne, uh, Ellen Wolf on Dexter, uh, Lisa Stemple on Mad About You. So you've seen her around. 
she was on Lisa Stemple. I'm mad about you. That was, um, Oh God, what's her name's sister? The Helen Hunt's sister, supposedly. Yeah. Uh, Lisa. Yeah. Uh, Megan Cavanaugh. Now Megan, I love this cause she's done a bunch of stuff. She mm-hmm. was the homely one in this movie that everybody's like, oh, my God. <laughs> I had no idea that she did Jimmy Neutron's mom. She did the voice oh, of Jimmy yeah. Neutron's mom. Yeah. Uh, she was also Brunhilde in Back at the Barnyard, and she showed up in Robin Hood Men in Tights. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, you know, and, of course, you got, you got uh, Rosie O'Donnell and Madonna. They were pretty much inseparable throughout this movie. Um, yeah. Which kind of leads me to think that maybe there was something going on between those two but no come on now we know rosie's out of the closet but, but no yeah i don't i don't think madonna swings that way well she's had incidents but well she's you know. had incidents but like full-on no with, uh, with rosie yeah be like, <laughs> uh, yeah oh the, god just the, the, stop it. The the interesting thing about Laurie Petty, who played Kit Keller in this, I it took me a while to. Uh, I think it was when she blew up at Dottie, um, where I really realized where I remembered her voice from after I watched this movie. Because yeah, I've seen this movie, but I haven't seen her in a lot of other things. Uh, but really, where I remember her from is as the voice of Livewire from Superman the Animated Series. As soon oh as I heard God. Livewire, I'm like, wait a minute, that's Kit Keller. What the hell is she doing on Superman? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Um, amazing, amazing cast for this movie. I mean, you know, Tom Hanks alone, you know, Forrest Gump, Turner and Hooch, Big, uh, Oh, um, uh, catch me if you can. Now, here's one that I just I just happened to see, and I didn't realize this. Mm-hmm. And my God, she's she still to this day looks damn good. David Duchovny's wife. Well, I don't know if she's still <laughs> his wife or not. Taya Leone, racing yeah. first base. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh Lord. Yeah. Um. Sorry. Just. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, let's see. Uh, divorce was finalized summer of this year, between the two of them. Okay. So no, and she is on. Um, she just started on Madam Secretary for CBS. Yes. Uh, I, I have not seen an episode of that yet, but I want to because it looks pretty I good. Saw the pilot. It was interesting. Um, kind of bring it back around to Superman. Uh, Tim Daly is her husband in that. Tim Daly oh. was the voice of Clark Kent Superman. <laughs> so, um, but no, it's it's interesting. Um, and of course, you know, how can we not mention uh, Bill Pullman? I mean, yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I mean, going off to war and then coming back as you know, Dottie's husband coming back. Yep. In there, it just kind of a surprise, but at the same time, I was kind of like, "Oh, that's not bad." <laughs> and then you've got—I um, didn't really mean to turn this into the Superman show, but here's another Superman connection. Uh, Marla's father, Eddie Jones, played uh, a younger—he's old, but he's a younger version of Jonathan Kent in Lois and Clark: The New Adventures of Superman. 
Oh my um, god, I, I haven't he, seen that in like forever. So oh my god. I, we'll have to do an episode on that show. I love oh, yeah. that show. Um, but I mean, this movie—it's so heartwarming. It's so interesting, and again, it depicts a time that not a lot of people. This is a movie I would show to teenagers, honestly, because most teenagers nowadays are, you know, so enthralled with Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and and every other social media you can think of that people pop up with. And back then, to hear news of a loved one, whether they were at war or not – you get a telegram. You get, you know, you have to actually use the telephone. You have to, you yeah. don't have all this instant communication. You didn't back then. And that, again, yet another heartbreaking, heart wrenching scene in this movie is when the postal guy comes in and says, Oh, well, I have to do it. And Jimmy's just like, Give me the letter and snatches it from him. And, just the tension of that scene when he, Jimmy is walking down the line. It's like, who's going to get it? Who's going to get it? And we see Betty Spaghetti get it. And it's like, she just breaks down because I, I couldn't, my, my uncle was in desert storm. Um, you know, and I, it was just, the whole time I knew he was over there back in, you know, 89, 90, 91, 92. I just couldn't stop thinking about him. Uh, you know, and even back in the 90s, we didn't have the communication and technology that we have today. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, so now it's instantaneous to get a letter to somebody mm-hmm. or to get a picture somewhere. Yeah. You know, back then it was weeks. Yeah. So, weeks, sometimes months, yeah. uh, depending on where you were. Um, but it's one of those things where, you know, you've got these two sisters, one who knows she's really good. But doesn't you know? She's happy with her own life, you know, on the farm and everything else. And, yeah. And you know, they both go up, and it's your standard sibling rivalry, I guess you could say, uh, between Kit and Dottie, because Kit always thinks that she's being held back, and and all this and all that. And then you bring in the comedy relief and the sex pot, and it's like, oh my god, this is just yeah. so like all the way May, right? Um, (laughs) now she was actually supposed to be a, I I have to throw this in because I know what this means. She mm -hmm. was a taxi dancer. Now, for those of you who don't know what a taxi dancer is back in the forties, what would happen is that you'd get guys that would go to these clubs, you know, they'd Mm -hmm. go to, uh, things like the, the Savoy club in New York or whatnot. And they'd have, they'd be wanting to go out and dance. Well, what they would do is they would hire a girl would come with them in the taxi. They'd pay them five cents, you know, five cents a dance or whatever it was. And they'd dance with them all night long. And then they would go home and, Mm -hmm. you know, they've paid them for the dancing. And so there's whatever happens after that. Well, that's on them. Basically they were prostitutes, but they got paid for dancing. And that was the whole point of it. Uh, But it was actually something that I picked up because back in the day when I used to do swing dancing, which was, God knows how long ago. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Wait, wait, wait! You're too old to do swing nah, dancing. <laughs> no, nah, I, I, I did the, I did the, re, the uh, rebirth of it when it was back around, uh, right around the turn of the century. <laughs> you know, two thousands. Uh-huh. Uh, I was twenty three. You know, twenty three, twenty four at the time doing it. So, uh, but 
that was something that they actually had a problem with at the all ages club that I went to was that they were afraid that parents were going to be coming in or, or people would be coming in and being taxi dancers, basically paying, you know, getting paid, trying to hit on these girls and hit on these kids and, you know, basically be prostitutes or gigolos. So that's what it was. Anyway, going on <laughs> back to the story. Go ahead, Mike. Um, so we've got, uh, uh, we've got the Rockford Peaches and the Racing Bells. They're pretty much the two main rivals you see, even though there are two other teams, because there's four teams total, and then there's a cut list. Um, and throughout the movie, they have to go to charm school and beauty school, and and we have you know bus rides all over the place, and we have the 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 lineup day, the the um. The join the team scene where, uh, you know, uh, what what's his name? Um, God, Ira shows up and he says, yes. "If you can't play baseball in this, you can't play baseball for us." And the best part about this scene is, I can't, I can't wear a skirt. I can't do this. I can't pitch like pitch like that. I got to squat in that thing. <laughs> 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 oh, I, I loved uh, it. The the whole skirt, you know, they were complaining about sliding it, sliding in the mm-hmm. skirt and everything. And there's actually scenes. There's actually a scene where you see one of the girls and her whole thigh is ripped up. Mm-hmm. That was real. That was actually oh, her doing it. It was not like makeup that they pushed, put on there to show it. That was actually her skin getting rubbed raw. And that actually happened to several people in this movie. So it's not, you know, they all got beat up pretty good sliding around in those skirts. And let's face it, folks, this is 22 years ago. I mean, 22 years ago, studios were not, okay, they were worried, but they weren't as worried as they are today about needing stunt people. You know what I mean? It's like today, it's like, oh, you know, you get a big name actor. Oh, you can't do your own stunts. Insurance, insurance. They were worried about that kind of thing, but back in 92, not as much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's litigious society. This is what happens. But, mm-hmm. um, but no, the whole thing going back and forth, you actually do get to see a World Series with these girls. Uh, you know, and it kind of comes down where you see. Dottie and, and, you know, Dottie takes off and she ends up leaving the team because her husband comes home. And the whole process of that, when she comes back, she ends up getting Kit kicked off the team and sent over to Racine. No, Kit or, does. Uh, well, Kit gets tra- Kit gets pissed at Dottie because she got traded and Dottie's, Dottie was going to leave. And, and she told Jimmy, you know, do whatever you have to do, but I'm not coming back. And, you know, they... They went ahead and you know they said she said trade me or whatever, and right. instead of tra- instead of the instead of the peaches trading her because she's arguably the best player on the team, um, they traded Kit instead and Kit got pissed at her through the baseball at her, yeah, um, and all of that. Uh, so then you have the setup for Kit and Dottie's rivalry as pitcher and catcher. Yeah, and, and I love that it, towards the end. Throw her a curveball. She can't hit them. Throw the high ones. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay. Yeah. And then, of course, what did she do? She knocks it out of the park. Mm hmm. <laughs> so, you know, it kind of reminds me of that old, um, that old, uh, 
Looney Tunes cartoon. Oh, there's a screaming liner in the left field. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It screams out. Just, I mean, it was so good. And I, and I love this, you know. I, I love the way that the movie came together. I mean, yeah, despite the fact that I'm, like, sick and tired of seeing the damn movie over <laughs> and over again, it's still a good movie. And it's still something that I think everybody should see. Uh, now, we're, let's go ahead. We'll take a quick break here. Uh, well, before we take this quick break, I'm going to play one thing for everybody. This is a – it's part of a bit of trivia here for this because this is the 54th highest – rated film quote of all time and people are probably going to be like what <laughs> here you go <laughs> are you crying no are you crying are you crying there's no crying there's no crying in baseball why don't you leave her alone jimmy oh you zip it doris rogers hornsby was my manager and he called me a talking bottom of pig shit. And that was when my parents drove all the way down from Michigan to see me play the game. And did I cry? No, no. No! No! And you know why? No. Because there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball! Gotta love that. <laughs> I think everybody knows this one. It's just, it's one of these things that anytime you talk about baseball, that line comes out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so we'll go ahead and we'll break here and then we'll come back for our other side of the double header. just now. What was it? We didn't hear anything. All right. Thank you. 
we're back. Uh, Mike, I'm sorry about that. While we were gone, I had to play something to introduce this next film. Uh, Jackass. Yes, yes, I know. Uh, which I know that you guys all heard it because I cut it in here for post. But i uh, got to love this movie. This this here, Field of Dreams. Uh, i got to admit that this one here, when I first saw it, I wasn't quite sure what to think of it at first because, again, there were there were so many spoofs being made before I'd even seen the movie. There were uh, there were like Kellogg's commercials, you know, where they're <laughs> talking about, you know, they're they're showing people sitting there and eating cornflakes, and they're going, you know, is this heaven? No, it's Iowa, and that actually <laughs> was a quote from the movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just I love this movie for what it was because. It gave you this this bit of history kind of just coming together, and you had passion behind it. You had Kevin Costner that starts coming out with all sorts of different things from his background of baseball, and he's talking about how passionate his father was and how his father taught him the game. And I love the fact that you got that because you start watching it, and you actually start you start getting a hook in it, and you start going, wow, this is – he really knows his stuff. And so for that, I love this film, Field of Dreams. Uh, what were your thoughts, Mike? I love this film. First of all, you've got Darth Vader himself guiding. Yes. <laughs> there, there, there is nothing like Darth Vader and Robin Hood sitting at the first base side of Fenway Park. Yes. <laughs> like, oh, my God. <laughs> so amazing. Um <clears throat> No, but I, I love this film. I don't see it as much as obviously we do A League of Their Own, but oh. this film is always good to watch when you want a feel-good baseball story. Um, it's got amazing acting. I mean, you know, just going down, without even going into the cast, but just going down the main uh, cast list, Costner, Madigan, Darth Vader, uh, Ray Liotta, Burt Lancaster, Timothy Busfield, uh, Gabby Hoffman. Uh, yeah. You know, um, just all of these people. And, you know, the players um, – don't recognize a lot of their names, but uh, you know it was really, really interesting to see. And let's face it, Leota as Shoeless Joe is is probably the most uh, recognizable out of the players. Oh yeah. Um, I when I, I I gotta admit when I first saw this, I was I I kind of thought you know because all I'd ever known Ray Liotta as being was. You know, gangsters. That was what he typically played. And he still has that stigma about him <laughs> playing gangster type roles. Mm -hmm. But to see him in this role, and he kind of just was like, oh, yeah, we just we just want to play baseball. That's it. You know, mm -hmm. and, and that's all we want to do. He was never cruel and nasty in this film, which I thought was awesome. It's like um, Henry Hill light. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, but the you know the overall plot is uh, 
Costner's character, Ray Kinsella, keeps hearing this voice. You know, if you build it, he will come. Don't you dare play it again. Um, <laughs> and build what? Build what? Uh, baseball field. Um, and the he, it wasn't necessarily Shoeless Joe. No. This film is to mimic uh, Costner's character reuniting with his, you know, what his father was. Yeah. So it's a lot more deep than than that. And, uh, yeah. and we're sorry, folks. Spoiler alert. But it's it's fine because it's one the of the film things. is over 25 years old. If you haven't seen it by now, fuck you and fuck spoilers. Yes. <laughs> I mean, only someone living under a rock in the last 25 plus years has not seen this movie. I mean, the the thing about that is that even if we've spoiled the movie by saying that, Mm -hmm. it's still a good movie. You still should watch it regardless because there's so much good that comes about this. Mm -hmm. Did you know that this was Maisie Russell's debut film? Really? So this was before even uh, Home Alone and all that? Uncle no, this is before before Uncle Buck. She uh, her very first role in 1989 was uh, Karen Kinsella, the daughter, in wow. this movie, and then she went on to Uncle Buck, and um, now and then, oh my God, she played Samantha in Now and Then. Wow, <laughs> you know we ought to do a a week or a month or whatever where we just talk about really, really bad movies or guilty pleasure movies or something like that. Oh, we need um, to. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, Field of Dreams is a feel, it's a really feel good movie. You know, everybody thinks Ray is crazy for killing his cornfield, killing his crops. You know, how, how are they going to make money? How are they, you know, he's got his brother breathing down his neck. He's got the bank breathing down his neck. Well, and it's kind of funny too about that because they mention. uh, they say, oh, you know, Ray, do you know how much land, how much this land is worth? And he responds, yeah, 2200 bucks an acre. <laughs> well, OK, here's the thing about this. That's supposed <laughs> to con- have a connotation that the baseball field represents this huge financial loss for him. Mm-hmm. OK, truthfully, baseball fields are only about two acres in size. So even if he had generous proportions, he probably would have only been losing about five thousand dollars from maintaining his quote-unquote, field of dreams. So, you know, right. really, not that big a deal. Yeah. Well, but you got to remember, though, even though we think it's not that big of a deal, this is at a time where money was... Okay, sure, I'm not, I'm not discounting how big of a deal money is right now considering the financial shit that I'm in, but it's just one of those things where, you know, a farmer from Iowa where farming is your main source of it, that was a big deal. Oh, yeah. You know, that's a huge deal. Yeah. You know, so it's one of those things. And I, I probably shouldn't make it that <laughs> trivial, but again, you know, you're, you're talking about $5,000, which nowadays mm-hmm. is probably, you know, a couple months worth of work for people. It's not, you know, it's not a huge amount. And for farmers, farmers who are making, you know, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000, off of one, you know, one one year of crops, <laughs> I, I don't think it's worth that much. Uh, yeah. But uh, so going back to the story on this, because basically we do have him hearing the voices. He starts hearing it and saying he has to go. And he starts realizing that there's things that he has to go and do after building this field. 
And mm-hmm. the first thing that he realizes is he's watching the field out there that he's built, you know, lights and everything. And he sees this guy playing out on the field and the guy just kind of wanders out of the cornfields. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, my God, who is, you know, and his wife is kind of like, what do you see out there? And she go, he goes out there and he finally tells her, look, there's Shoeless Joe Jackson. He's out there. And he starts talking all this history about Shoeless Joe Jackson and how he got hot one day and decided to play barefoot. And so he got the nickname Shoeless Joe. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, just all these little things. And you start seeing that. And then you start seeing other players that come out of the cornfield uh, that were banned during the 1919 block, uh, Black Sox scandal, which mm-hmm. uh, basically, for those who don't know, it's they were taking uh, they were taking money and, and basically trying to throw the World Series. Yep. And it's it's a shame that that happened, but you know it, it is what it is at this point. It's one of those black notes in history, and they they still try to idolize it in a sense. So they still try to make good on it by saying you know this happened. But the guys just still want to play ball, and that's all that it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I love Ray's brother-in-law that he's like, you know, oh, Timothy Busfield is standing out there. Ray, you're nuts. You're going to be losing <laughs> money left and right. You know, and, and of course, they're all standing there watching them playing the game. You know, Maisie and everybody's standing there watching them play mm-hmm. this game. And Timothy Busfield can't see shit. <laughs> nope. I love that, you know. That's because he doesn't believe. You know, if you believe, yeah. if you build it, he will come. If you believe in it, he will come. Yes. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I love that. That, and then when he goes to see, uh, when he goes to get uh, James Earl Jones, and he, mm-hmm. he, like, drives all the way to New York, I think. Or uh, he drives Boston. to Boston. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> mm-hmm. My bad. Uh, but he, he takes him, he picks up. Terrence Mann, and they start talking about baseball. And it's like, okay, you know, just you start seeing all this stuff and all this history coming out. And I, it played together so well. I love how this film came together. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but uh, and, the, and the interesting thing is that James Earl Jones, this won't be the first time, this will be the first, but it won't be the last time we will talk about him in baseball this month. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. I, I, I had to stop and think about that for a second. I'm like, wait, what movie? <laughs> so, yes. Uh, let's stop Let's stop here just for a second and talk real quick about the cast here because we do have, again, as you mentioned, quite a few people. You mentioned Kevin Costner, you know, who was in Fishtar. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Waterworld. <laughs> uh, the Postman, Dances with Wolves. He has a thing about baseball, too, because he's got, he's got Field of Dreams and he's got For Love of the Game. Yep. Uh, you know, you've got Amy Madigan, uh, who showed up. She also happened to be an Uncle Buck with Maisie she Russell. Was, yeah, she was Buck's girlfriend, yep. Uh, she was in Carnival. She was on Grey's Anatomy, Law & Order. She's she's been around, uh, James Earl Jones. Who, yeah, we already mentioned. <laughs> you know, it, it, dude, it's Darth Vader. Everybody knows Darth Vader. It's Mufasa. What are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> uh, you know, he was, and I didn't realize this, but he was in Conan the Barbarian. Yep, he was the bad guy in Conan the Barbarian. So it's kind of like okay, uh, Ray Liotta. We already mentioned Goodfellas. He was in Hannibal, mm-hmm. uh, Wild Hogs. 
Uh, he was the voice of Tommy Versett, uh, or I'm sorry, Tommy Ver- Vercetti in Grand Theft Auto Vice City. And that was actually one of the very first big names that they managed to secure for doing voiceovers for video games. And it was kind of like, wow, you know, here was here was a start. And he won like a bunch of video game awards for that, which I was kind of surprised by. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you had Burt Lancaster in the film, who he's been around. Uh, you know, Airport, Atlantic City, Island, the original Island of Dr. Moreau, uh, Birdman of Alcatraz, and then probably the best one that I remember him from uh, would be From Here to Eternity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and of course, Timothy Busfield, who we've seen. <laughs> yeah, you know, he was he showed up on West Wing, for those people who know him. Uh, he was in Little Big League and probably... For the 80s genre, uh, 30-something would probably be his biggest role that he had. 30-something and Trapper John M.D. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, He also currently is playing Benjamin Franklin on the Fox show Sleepy Hollow. Really? I have not seen that. I'll I'll have to check that out. Part of it is that I just need to watch Sleepy Hollow, but it's finding time Mm -hmm. again. (laughs) Um, he, uh, as a television director, he directed a few episodes of Without a Trace. He directed a few episodes of Las Vegas, uh, Studio 60 on Sunset Strip, Lipstick Jungle. Um, he directed an episode of White Collar. Uh, you know, and it's always interesting to me when I see actors that I like transition behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. Uh, so... But I mean, yeah, I I absolutely love love this movie, um, and they really did pick uh, some great actors to do this. Oh yeah, well, I, I do want to talk a little trivia on this film just mm-hmm. because there were some interesting things, and I I I love this. Did you know that the movie was actually supposed to be called Shoeless Joe? Yeah, I didn't know that. I remember seeing that. Uh, the whole reason was that. It was they they ran it through test audiences and test audiences were like Shoeless Joe sounds like you know a hobo or a bum or something so Universal's like uh, yeah we're not going to be able to work with this they call the author and the author's like okay well what they name it Field of Dreams and he's like seriously I was going to call it Dream Field <laughs> God yeah he he actually was going to call his book Dream Field you know uh, Kinsella wanted, WP Kinsella wanted to call it that. So he's like, dude, that's not a bad thing at all. One <laughs> uh, of the other things is that towards the beginning of the film, when you first see Ray Liotta coming out and Kevin Costner takes and throws the ball and Liotta just hits that line drive right to him, you know, knocks mm-hmm. the bag of baseballs over. Sheer luck. Ray Liotta was like, you know, there, there's a point where Kevin Costner's like, oh, shit, and, and it cuts back around. Ray <laughs> Liotta... At that point, after that happened, he was kind of like, oh, oh, crap. Shit, I didn't mean to hit you. <laughs> like, no, no, you didn't hit me. You just came close. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I love that. And then, of course, <laughs> I love this. Burt Lancaster had no idea Timothy Busfield was actually part of the cast. <laughs> so he's got Timothy Busfield running around, getting him water and chairs and everything, and then realizes, oh, 
Shit, he's supposed to be in the scene with me, isn't he? <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's I, I crazy. Like that. And then, of course, your two favorite Bean Towners. <laughs> Did, I, I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. Uh-huh. Yeah. Go ahead. I'll let you talk about this. Um, wait, where is that trivia bit? Uh, crap. You're going to have to edit this. I forgot where it was. IMDb. Uh, okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, where's that stupid thing? History. Kevin, where is... Okay, let's click on this. Come on. Feel the dream. Oh, stupid movie. Crap, I'm sorry. I forgot about this. That's okay. You know who I'm talking about, though, right? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, let's see. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, oh, Lord, uh, it's hunting season. Um, <laughs> all right, so the unknown Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are among the thousands of extras in the Fenway Park scene and are uncredited over a decade later when Phil Alden Robinson welcomed Affleck to the set of The Sum of All Fears. Uh, Affleck said, nice working with you again. Robinson asked, what do you mean again? And Affleck explained the connection. Um, well, of course they're going to, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. It's can you imagine? Like, I don't even, yeah, it's Matt and Ben are just like me. And the fact that with growing up in Boston, it is sacrilege for you to have never attended a game at Fenway at least once. It just, you know, baseball up there is, it's a way of life. It's baseball to Boston and Massachusetts in general is like what football is to West Canaan and Texas, for Christ's sake. Yes. You know, I mean, it's one of those things where you live and breathe the sports. And it doesn't surprise me that, kind of surprises me that they're uncredited, but it doesn't surprise me that they were two of the thousands of extras that they use at Fenway Park. It really yeah. doesn't. Because honestly, I mean, if you really look at that, that in the baseball stadium scenes where they go to different, you know, stadiums that are actual baseball stadiums, I assume they just went to a game day and filmed. I mean, I'm sure that was more than that, but I, you know what I mean? It's like, Oh yeah. We're going to get to a movie that, um, in this, in this, uh, double header, these, these next three podcasts or these next two podcasts, I should say, after this one, we're going to get to a film where the behind the scenes for that movie is 90% extra. I mean, they just went and filmed the game. They didn't go, you know, yeah, fever, fever pitch people. We're going to be talking about fever pitch here in a couple of weeks and fever pitch. They, the filmmakers were allowed access to film the playoffs for 2004 for the Red Sox. And, you know, I'm sure something like that happened back in 86, 85, whenever this movie was first being made. So I'm 
Sure, it's it was just something where I don't know how much extra type work they had to do, but I assume it's something where they just went to one of the games and, and filmed it. Yeah, I think I think they might have because I mean some of it. I, I understand that some of it they you know that they actually had it filmed separate from the game itself. Like mm-hmm. when they're sitting there and you look up and you see you know Kevin Costner sitting there with Terrence Mann and they look up and they see on the field the sign saying, you know, I, I forget what it was exactly, but, mm-hmm. you know, sign fading out and showing the different lights. I, I get that. That, you know, people people in real life would have been like, what the hell is that? So, mm-hmm. but, I, you know, again, I, I to kind of sum up with this, I love this film. This was actually one of the very few Kevin Costner films that I like. Uh, he oh, come on. Well, okay, I'm going to say this because there there are others that I like, but he's really kind of just fallen by the wayside. I did not care for Dances with Wolves, did not care for Waterworld, <laughs> did not care for The Postman. Okay, but you're talking about films that are 10, 20, almost 30 years old. I know, um, I know. You know, I mean, in recent years, uh, let me see if I can pull this up here. Man of Steel. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, but in recent years, he had, uh, rumor has it, The Guardian, uh, The Upside of Anger. Uh, he was a voice, uh, actor, producer in Open Range, um, 3,000 Miles to Graceland. And I'm just going back as far as like 2001 here. Yeah. Uh, you know, 2012, he had Hatfields and McCoys. 2013, he was the probably the worst Jonathan Kent in history uh, in Man of Steel. He was a, another role in Jack Ryan Cheddar Recruit. Um, he's he, been around, but he's, he's he's been around and he's had like, oh, OK, you want you want to go back to the 90s and, and probably one of probably two of the really awesome roles that I remember him from was a perfect world in 93, Wyatt Earp in 95, 94. Uh, and then, uh, you know, getting, uh, getting him and Cheech and, and Johnson together for tin cup. I mean, come on. Tin cup is awesome. Okay. I'll give you tin cup. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Uh, There's just, there's just some of those movies, you know. I, I saw Three Thousand Miles to Graceland. It is not. Oh, it's a great not film. that. Okay, it, it's not. It, it's it's supposed to be him and uh, Kurt Russell are supposed to be like sons of Elvis, mm-hmm. you know, illegitimate children. It's not good. It's it's very bad. And if you watch it, you're gonna be like, oh god, oh god, give me my two hours back. <laughs> Another really good one in his heyday, uh, before he went to Waterworld and danced with wolves, was The Untouchables. Now, I know Sean Connery makes that movie for the most part, but, I mean, Costner played a damn good Elliot Ness. Oh, yeah. Uh, You want to watch a movie now? I I, I did this. I, I believe it is on Netflix now. I don't know how long it'll be there, but I believe it is on there now. I had gotten one. I think I mentioned this on one of the other shows. I don't remember. I mentioned it somewhere recently. I had gotten an email from Redbox uh, that had told me, hey, these are the newest movies to come out and blah, 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 blah. Had no idea he did a movie called Three Days to Kill. came out this year. Oh. And this movie convinced me that he could have been the successor to Christian Bale Batman because he, in this movie, 
He has so much gravel in his voice. It's like he's eat, he. It's like he's drinking from a cement truck. Oh Jesus! Uh, it was a really cool, interesting movie. It, it, it's not a movie that's going to win awards or anything like that. But outside of Man of Steel, I hadn't seen him in much, and I just I just figured after Man of Steel, he you know. At this point, with some of these older actors, I just figure that they fade off. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, I'm not saying that to be disrespectful, but l- let's face it. His heyday was the 80s and 90s. And yep. you know, as actors age, they're going to either retire or you know become old Obi-Wan Kenobis and everything else and go in the hills. And, you know, I mean. It would be better if you just stepped behind the camera, I think. Yeah, and, you know he probably would do really well at directing or producing, but um, he is currently filming two things. Uh, he actually uh, he's got he also did Draft Day this year, which I think that's a football movie. I could be wrong. I'm not yeah. looking. You know? I, I heard it was pretty bad that it wasn't even worth seeing. He's also got something coming up this year called Black and White, and then McFarlane USA next year he has something coming up called Criminal, which is filming now. Uh, criminal uh, American British action crime thriller film directed by Ariel Waltrumman, written by Douglas Cook and David Weisberg. Uh Ryan Reynolds, Kevin Costner, Tommy Lee Jones, and Gary Oldman star in the film about a criminal who is implanted with a dead CIA agent's memories to finish a mission. Okay, a couple of things that turned me off about this movie already. Ryan Reynolds. Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's been like one movie that is not a comedy that I actually like him in, but it's only because of, you know, what it is. And that's, uh, he starred with Denzel in Safe House. I like Safe House. Yeah. Everything else Ryan Reynolds does, unless he's playing Deadpool, forget it. Yeah. And supposedly he has, there's rumors coming around that he is going to come back and be Deadpool again. Yeah, and for the new movie. He's actually going to have his mouth back and he's actually going to have the smart ass comments, which. That come on, let's face it. That is Ryan Reynolds. He's perfect for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but these two movies, Field of Dreams and A League of Their Own, two very different baseball movies, but two very awesome baseball movies at the same oh, time. Yeah. For different reasons, you have such a wide variety of actors in both films. Um, I know you will not say this, but I can definitely say that whenever A League of Their Own pops up i usually just leave it on his back honestly the last couple of times it's popped up on my tv it's like oh okay i lay down and next thing i know some other movie is on because i just use it to take a nap yeah Um, well my thing is that it was on netflix and my wife i like i would go from one room to another and my wife would be watching it and then i'd (laughs) i'd you know she'd be like okay i have to go watch something else because it's i'm getting burned out on this I'd go away, I'd come back, you know, I'd go down and get the mail or something like that, and I'd come back, and it would be started up again on the other TV. And I'm like, Jesus Christ! <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> that's my bitch about it. <laughs> yeah. God. At any rate, we're going to go ahead and close out the show. Uh, Mike, do you have anything that you want to plug for uh, GCRN? Um, just check out geekcastradio.com, uh, where you can find all of our podcasts. Uh, check out Remote Control over there. Uh, coming up, Doug and I are going to do episodes on the new CBS uh, drama Scorpion, uh, as well as Stalker. Um, 
and I'm trying to think what else is going on over there. Uh, we've got a real a lot of awesome content over at geekcastradio.com. Five and a half years worth. Uh, just check it out, uh, and it will be awesome. Okay, and with that, I do want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, please go ahead and give us feedback in iTunes. We would really like to hear that. Uh, I, I'm still waiting to get bad reviews. You know, I keep telling people, give me a bad review because I'd love to read it on the air and see what you guys think is bad. Now, if it's really bad and you know absolutely horrible, I'll probably pick you apart. But at the same time, it means somebody's listening. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I know. I, well, I, I want to share this because I, I find it funny and I'm not sure where else I'm going to be able to comment on this. Um, I'm sure Steve and I will do something. I recently got a new review on iTunes for my one of my podcasts called Tooncast Beyond. Um, the, uh, uh, the person that left the review on September 15th is Safager, I assume is how you say the person's name. I don't know if it's a male or female, whatever. Says title of the review is Stay Away, Sexist and Boring, One Star Review. These hosts are uninspiring, always unprepared, often sexist, and have nothing new, interesting, or informative to say about the films. Plus, super unfunny. All I wanted was a funny podcast that talked about cartoons and animation, but they always sound embarrassed to admit they saw a movie. Skip it. Um, <laughs> I have come to, you know, I've been doing podcasting for six years now. The network has been online for five and a half years. I have come to roll with the punches with reviews like this. Um, first of all, I don't know how the hell we have been sexist on Tooncast Beyond at all. I mean, admitting that a girl or, you know, a guy, if you swing that way, is hot or cute, or that's not sexist. Uh, you know, it, it just isn't. Um, I, I don't know. But uh, it's just one of those things where... I've learned to roll with the punches with, with iTunes reviews. I, I will say this. I think you should report any iTunes review that is super vulgar, uh, oh, yeah. is, is not constructive criticism, or if it's just one of those people that write, um, that they'll write something as the title, like this podcast is as the title and then write one word as a review – yeah. I will so report anybody who does that to iTunes because that's not a re- – I can understand if you want to say that you don't like us or – and I mean us by me, like me and the shows that I do. I understand if you want to say something like I don't like this and it's boring, it's this, it's this. But don't just sit there and w- write a one-word review. iTunes is not Twitter, damn it. Yes. You can put more than 140 characters in there. Please do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so all that being said, there are some other ways you guys can leave us feedback. You can write to us at mygenerationpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we do have a voicemail line. If you guys want to go leave us a voicemail, that is area code 760-659-0242. I'd love to see if anybody gives us a call. We'll play it on the air. Uh, we have our Facebook page that you can go to talking about my generation. And I know I, I know I mentioned this last week. I was trying to find out who it was that liked our page last week. That was Michael Kelso from Two Dudes and an S. Um, awesome. So, yeah, I wanted to thank him for, for liking our page. And if you guys go and like the Facebook page, I'll mention your names here too. Please do. Uh, so with that, we're going to go ahead and we're going to sign off. I'm not too sure what I'm going to play here, but we'll put something good in. Are we sure that's not Ashton Kutcher stalking us? 
I know, I know. Michael <laughs> Kelso, he's a nice guy, though. Yeah. Uh, you guys, and I will say this, if you guys haven't heard him yet, go listen to Two Dudes and a Nest. They're really actually pretty good. Uh, I've done some intros for them. So go check him out and see what you think. And with that, we'll go ahead and sign off. All right. And I'll, I'll think of something to stick in here. You could just um, stick in. If you build it, he will come. Like that? <laughs> I meant in post, you ass. <laughs>